Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing with Fishes podcast, episode 210. This week we have Jake Williams with us, and he's written an awesome paper on the visions for aquaponics uh, and the vision of the future of aquaponics. It's, it's really cool, and uh, he's here to talk about it with us. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us all the way from England. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks for having me on, Steve. I'm really pleased to be here. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be our first... Uh, in- oh no, you're not. Uh, we, we've had only, I think, one other person so far to date from, from England, and that was... Um, uh, Gypsy Nirvana, I think, is the only other person we've had on from, from England. So you're very much an esteemed company, my friend. <laughs> uh-huh. So uh, please tell us more about uh, what you do and, uh, and about your paper. You're uh, uh, an aspiring student uh, wanting to, uh, to to get into aquaponics. You, you've been working hard, doing a lot of research. And uh, why don't you tell us more about that? Yeah, so um, I'm just kind of finishing my like uh, undergraduate um, degree at university and so I was just like we had to do a dissertation for our final year and so I picked mine on aquaponics and um, yeah so it was basically just exploring the kind of like visions that like stakeholders and sort of practitioners have um, for the field and um, it kind of the reason that kind of came about is that during like the literature review I sort of um, found kind of two key issues almost that I thought I'd like to focus on and so one was a sort of a paper that kind of found a lot, like a sort of lack of vision for the field to be quite an issue. So they found that um, in sort of Europe, especially, well, the, the paper was set in Europe, that um, they found that many of their participants often had differing like sort of ideas for the future of aquaponics and kind of what they saw as desirable. And um, they kind of, kind of um, highlighted that this could be kind of an issue because you could have people kind of pulling in different directions, you know, sort of, or investing in different areas that kind of sort of, um, kind of, um, like mutually exclusive almost and kind of counterproductive. And so that they kind of saw that as being a sort of a risk to aquaponics ever sort of um, fledging kind of like as a technology and really kind of delivering its sustainability or like food security potentials. And so, so, they kind of in that seemed like they needed to be like a vision for the field and then there was another paper as well that I read that was kind of challenged the idea of sort of um aquaponics as kind of being like an inherently sustainable um technology and so they kind of saw a lot more of the sort of research um that was coming out of like current research focusing a lot on sort of productivity and kind of like commercial viability and so they kind of saw that as maybe potentially being an issue by sort of ignoring other factors that are wrapped up in like sort of sustainability and food security. So kind of they made a point that if aquaponics focuses solely on commercial viability and that um, that, say, for example, could be achieved by focusing solely on sort of gourmet or sort of like speciality food. And whilst that's, you know, that producing that food sustainably is like, better than not if that makes sense um it kind of kind of limits the extent to which aquaponics can really be used to help sort of bring about sort of more sustainable food production and really help in sort of food security so they argued that there was a kind of need to kind of consider like those sort of potentials and bring them kind of to the forefront of any research and development so kind of wrapped up in those two issues there kind of seem to be a need for a sort of reorientation or sort of um, a real effort to give like the field a 
like a, a real vision sort of what you know of what its goals should what the goals are what people in the field would like the technology to achieve and then going from that that can kind of mobilize action towards like really achieving those like sustainability and food security potentials so my research was kind of focusing on well what do people actually want for the field and like what kind of ideas within them are kind of sustainable so that if there ever was like a sort of like a visioning um uh sort of um project in the future that there was at least a little bit of research that could like sort of draw upon or be like a sort of basis for further research um so yeah so that was kind of the sort of um motivation almost for the research Oop, sorry muted my my window trying to unmute my mic um, so, uh, so what, uh, I guess what initially made you decide to, to move towards aquaponics and, 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 to, you know, decide that as a, as a point of study? Um, so it, yeah, so, um, I kind of, um, it was just, I was just kind of searching for an idea really. And, um, I think like a, something popped on a sort of like a TV show, like, um, like, um, just during that time when I was searching and it was like an aquaponics farm in the UK and, um, and uh, they were just speaking about, um, I, they were just speaking about sort of the actual system, the processes, and they were mentioning, you know, like really cool facts, like, you know, using kind of like the same water for like four and a half years and things like that, like kind of like really like kind of like catching your attention kind of um, um, sort of facts. And then also kind of like uh, during um, my sort of studies and stuff, um, becoming more and more aware of sort of like sustainable food production and the kind of the importance of it um it kind of that that's kind of what my studies kind of gravitated to and i found like really quite interesting um so it when i was researching more and more into aquaponics it kind of just kind of just happened naturally i guess i i don't really know it just kind of um um kind of ticked all the boxes of stuff that i found interesting and it seemed like a new field and there was you know sort of um, new new like um there was like um like more research needed to be done it seemed important so it seemed like a worthwhile dissertation project in the end so uh so what are some of the different visions you had a chance to interview uh, how many different people was it uh, so it was like 26 people in the end um awesome, awesome so so what are some of the different uh um uh, directions and maybe some of the big points uh, or maybe do you want to start off maybe some of the questions that you asked first to try and discern that maybe that's a better place to start yeah so um I kind of started off asking people kind of like the reasons for kind of like entering aquaponics and also kind of what they envisioned the role to be for aquaponics um so for in regard to like the role um obviously like food production came out as like sort of the major one um which is kind of to be expected I guess um, and so like within that, there was like a lot of emphasis on like local food, which was quite interesting. And so, um, people wanting it to be like, like some, like some people wanted it to be like, you know, lo located in cities or sort of they out outskirts of cities. And then some people again were like sort of really focusing on sort of community gardening, which is really interesting. Um, and then bringing into like, tying into like the sort of social aspects of that as well. So being able to use it as like educational reasons or sort of to be able to help people like sort of connect and like have um, more cohesion in communities. Um, and then, so, and also there's a big emphasis on sort of like 
aquaponics producing conventional food so you know it not just producing sort of like speciality or niche food but actually being it being a sort of conventional and mainstream way of producing food that people could go to you know the local store or like the like the 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 whole food shop or supermarket or something and like actually buy like aquaponics food like aquaponic produce and it's not to be like um something that only like you know that's more expensive than any other type of food so that was really interesting because um something that like I was saw in my kind of research was that there was like concerns almost of it being you know boxed in as like a sort of gourmet food or sort of niche food thing which I thought well I mean I I kind of have a really like sort of um you, you know I, I'm I've only entered this sphere for like like just under a year of my life really I don't really have the the best insight almost but it seemed almost like that was kind of quite limiting for its potential almost um so that was really cool to see that there is that sort of within the community or the people that I spoke to anyway there's that kind of drive to make it actually quite like um accessible which is really which is really cool um but then also people kind of like like didn't want it just to produce like food and um, food products they also saw it as like non-food products which is where it was getting quite interesting like having people discuss like um, using aquaponics to produce algae for like biodiesel and stuff like that. That was quite interesting. Um, you know, using it to produce medicines, um, cannabis. Uh, we, I think we spoke about essential oils and sort of those kind of like more um, outside the box kind of um, uses of aquaponics is like really quite interesting. Um, so yeah, so then after like speaking about like the role that um that people wanted aquaponics to fulfill in like uh in like society um there was also i asked people about like where they saw aquaponics being like located um so good because in one of the research papers that i'd read before there was kind of like a big issue about where the where people wanted aquaponics to be located um and like predominantly um th this was quite split actually so some people saw it being like a sole sort of urban kind of um um technology so only using it in urban scenarios and there's some interesting kind of like critiques of that that like people brought up so one of them was that whilst like you know we all hear about sort of rooftop farming and it's like oh yeah it makes a lot of sense but really the you know people if they're living in a city they might not want like sort of like a big farm next door to where they live or their apartment or above their apartment or something it might be that there might not be a lot of like sort of um public acceptance of having these kind of like kind of industrial um activities kind of like quite close to where they live so that seemed like a sort of challenge that some some people brought up which is quite interesting um, I think I think one other thing to add to that is, is that I think a lot of people underestimate the amount of sheer air pollution that can actually affect the the um, the quality of their produce when producing in a you know a heavily urban area. There's a lot of car pollution and everything else, and you can actually accumulate a lot of those different pollutants in the tissue depending on your city and the the you know the wind and the and the plant. You could actually grow something that you know over time could could be a problem. Um, you know, and that's something else that people kind of forget about in some of the urban areas that they try to grow stuff. They, they don't account for the fact that there's a factory next door spewing who knows what into the air that, you know, might be okay for what they're doing as far as air, but it's going to accumulate onto the leaves and cause problems. Yeah. And I guess if people are like consuming that every day, it just, it's kind of like it builds up over time. Yeah. 
we have similar problems with, with cannabis grows near freeways with cadmium and, 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 and mainly cadmium off catalytic converters, uh, you know, slowly getting into the air and then accumulating into the resin and you can actually test for it. You know, it, it's that high on, on a high frequency highway. So people forget about mm. that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. I guess as well, maybe like sort of, you know, country, like cities that really do have like air pollution problems, you know, like sort of, like, I guess like places in India or something like that, um, that is like really, really bad, like air pollution. It, it just exacerbates the issue like completely. Yeah. Yep, and then people don't want to grow the plant that actually will clean the air and perpetuate <laughs> snowballs, right? Yeah. Right, sorry, yeah. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, and then the, there was kind of people that, and then there was kind of sort of people that were dead set of like, oh yeah, it needs to be used in urban areas. We need to like, you know, make the most amount of. You know, it makes no sense to use productive land for like, you know. Um, to produce food if we don't have to if we can make it more efficient let's just do that and then there's other people that are like oh no like uh, you know it can be done in urban areas you know that's quite good but you know we if we want to grow these like if we want to have these like massive sort of industrial scale like hectares like farms there's no room in like urban areas for that like we need to use like rural regions and like expand out and so that was kind of like an interesting kind of um like sort of conflict almost that might underlie those two because you've got people that are kind of like almost really against using any productive land and then it's hard to see how you can have hectare and he like hectare size like sort of facilities that are like produced that aren't using like productive land at all so it's like part of the dissertation as well was like finding kind of differences between people's visions to kind of help guide sort of any sort of consensus building that would occur like during a visioning thing because you know, when people do have those kind of um, goals or like visions that are kind of a bit irre irreconcilable almost, it kind of seems important to like understand what values like underpin them. So then you can be like, oh, well, you know, we, we do this and we can kind of like address both of these issues at the same time. So, um, so yeah, so that was quite interesting seeing how like kind of diverse those like um, those um, kind of visions were for where they wanted the, the places to be. Um, was there, it was like, oops, sorry. Was there, was there any other large dichotomies or other any other similar type uh, kind of people are in one camp or the other? Um, so there was um, there was with like the technological sophistication. Um, there was like it, there was some people that were like uh, like sort of you know like oh die hard like I want it, we, let's go as high tech as possible you know like like sort of like complete automation, like using internet of things, like sensors, all that stuff, um, remote operation. So like they, some people just wanted to be able to go on their phone and check on their farm and be like, oh, it's okay, it's all good and stuff. Um, and then there was like on the, the, the flip side, there was people that were like, you know, like people do this, but it's almost like, you know, it's not, tr it's not what we want. It's not like the best way to do it. Um, it's like kind of, they almost thought that um, it kind of, I remember we, we spoke, Stephen, I, I don't know, mind if you hear me saying, but we spoke and it was like, uh, it kind of just um, kind of automates like problems into catastrophes rather yep. than kind of like really um, addressing the issues as, as much as possible. And it kind of just makes the system a bit more sort of vulnerable and like just vulnerable to collapse, I guess. Yeah, I've, I've, I've put a lot of automation on reef tanks and I've seen them 
where you know someone didn't account for one of the sensors or didn't account for one of the variables that the system was and suddenly it's uh, trying to fix that and then it keeps dosing x y or z uh you know one example would be converting a salt water tank to a freshwater tank with the auto top off um with because of an overflow problem and, and some other examples like that but you know, you, you can very quickly, um, access, especially with pH, automated pH changers and stuff like that, if the probe gets out of calibration, you know, the, or, you know, this, that, or the other, you can really rapidly kill stuff. So, um, you know, or fish feeding, that's the other num number one. For something that takes 15 seconds to do, uh, that is your main nutrient input on your entire system. If that gets moldy or fails, you just lost your, your main nutrient input. That, that's crazy. The, the amount of labor time that's saved by that is not worth the amount of liability compared to like, you know, automating, you know, some some other system, you know, like harvesting or or something else where that, you know, okay, the, there's a lot of labor time, but the the liability if something goes wrong is very minor, right? So, hmm. uh, you know, okay, we lost a couple heads of lettuce, but okay, out of you know five thousand heads of lettuce, we lost twelve. Okay, well that's acceptable, right? No big deal. Um, hmm. uh, you know, with that, you just have to really weigh the liability. And you know how much money are we realistically saving by automating this 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 thing? If if it's costing me you know thirty minutes a week for a worth of employee time to have a human observe what the fish reaction is, you know, especially with fish feeding, if the fish come up and 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 they have a fast reaction and feed right away, I know they're healthy, they're happy, but if they don't feed or if they're sluggish or 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 whatever, I know something's wrong with my water chemistry without even testing anything. So that, that's a great indicator where, okay, now I need to go do additional, you know, scouting to figure out what's going wrong. You know, maybe my heater failed. Maybe there's a dead fish that's clogging the thing. Maybe something, you know, maybe maybe a rat fell in and died and, and spiked the ammonia. I don't know. It could be any number of things, you know, but but who knows? But, but something's wrong, right? So so just that 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 indicator, for again, for something that costs me 30 minutes of labor a week, that it, it's just it's it's not worth the liability in, in in the data point. It's just not. So people are trying to automate stuff that is 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 very cheap labor wise and not automating things that are heavy, expensive labor wise. And that that's more I guess what I mean by that is 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 being really smart about what you do automate and then not just automating for the sake of automating. I think a lot of people love to do and it's cool from just inventing things and and I'm into steampunk and making stuff like I love all that right. Like don't get me wrong, but there's a time and place for that. And your commercial facility is not the time and place. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I heard like a phrase that is like technological tinkerers and it is like used to describe like the sort of hobbyist aquaponics that were like really loving the sort of automation. I thought it like described it quite well. Like, but uh, yeah, so it was quite interesting like seeing the, the, like seeing almost the people that were like really like sort of hardcore, like are uh, like uh, see it as like a sort of, I don't know it, it kind of reminds like they kind of see it as like I kind of it reminds you almost of like sort of entrepreneurs almost and like Elon Musk and people like that that are really like for technology and then on the flip side there's kind of people that uh, I guess like yourself you, like you, you you kind of have like a moderate of like oh yeah let, let's use like bits of both like where it's like most optimal almost whereas like those I've had those like a, a sort of smaller minority where they were like you know oh no like like low tech is like where it's at like we should just keep doing low tech and stuff and you know it's it's more um i actually we never really got to the bottom of why like low tech was completely better you know complete low tech um 
but yeah so that was kind of like an interesting dichotomy of like where there was like some people that were really for something and then some people against but then also there was kind of like it was the majority of people as well were sort of like in the middle of being like oh you know both you know depending on the context as well like I guess like a lot of people were saying like you know in like more affluent countries like yeah let's use where we can use higher tech you know if it makes it more productive or more sustainable but um you know in sort of less affluent countries like you know there's not really the sort of means or the sort of um to be able to use like high tech really so we need sort of low tech solutions as well um and that's kind of like why like the sort of focus on just pure commercial viability um you know that could be problematic i guess because it kind of like might sort of cause like the investment of like sort of you know research into those low tech options that might have like more um um application in those sort of like um less affluent contexts where you know you you where aquaponics does have like a really like really good potential to like help secure like people's nutrition and food security as well um yeah so um so yeah so there was kind of like that so that was like an interesting dichotomy uh there was like some interesting things with like the size of facilities as well like some people really envisioned like these massive like football stadium size like aquaponic facilities and then you know down to sort of like um uh, people were like af- like they described them as like mum and pop um um mum and pop shops so like having just like quite small ones that are kind of like family run and kind of um um and kind of like these like small sort of like nice like aquaponic facilities and then even kind of to like the household level so like one person saw like it would be like really ideal to have like like automated systems within a household so that people could just go and grab like some lettuce and then go make their lunch or whatever or grab a fish and cook them in their dinner um but having it completely like automated so that they didn't have need to have much knowledge it's almost like if it broke down you'd call like it's like say you've got like a dishwasher you'd call like the sort of maintenance repair man and they'll come and fix your aquaponic facility and stuff like that so that was quite interesting because that was quite like different to like what other people had been saying and stuff um and yeah and then um yeah so um there was a bit of like differences as well in sort of certification i remember we spoke a bit about it even where we were saying about how like an aquaponic specific certification um might be like needed and stuff just so you can like start kind of setting the standards of like what's what's right what's 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 um good practice what's bad practice and kind of like um kind of um like sort of um standardizing kind of the practice of aquaponics and so there's quite a few people that kind of saw like a aquaponic specific certification as kind of um a real like sort of next step and it kind of something that had to happen like as soon as possible really and some people kind of saw that like um if consumers knew that the this produce was aquaponically produced and they knew what aquaponics was then they'd be like really interested in buying it and consuming it um which is quite interesting because i think that's quite like aligned with like the actual research now as well like it seems that there is quite like a positive perspective of people for like aquaponic produce and like the idea of aquaponics um but also like that's aquaponic specific certification is like not really like prevalent in the literature like at all like no one no one's talked about it. it's all just like organic certification really and it's like how do we make organic work um and so that was quite interesting having like a more of a majority 
being like, oh no, like I, I'd like aquaponics specific. Like I don't think organic's the way to go like as much, which is really interesting. That, that is really interesting. In fact, just, just to clarify, there is an organic certified EU aquaponic cannabis facility called Symbiosid in Switzerland. That is EU GMP aquaponic organic, certified organic, the only one in the wow. EU. And then you have um, uh, in Canada, the only other currently certified organic aquaponic facility that is certified organic that can sell medical cannabis. There's only two, Symbiosid and um, um, uh, uh, Habitat Life in, in British Columbia. Um, there's a company in Oklahoma that falsely claims that they are organic certified. They were organic certified before they grew cannabis. They are no longer organic certified because cannabis is schedule one, which immediately disqualifies you from organics in the United States. So um, there, why there's three people that claim it, only two of them are actually certified. So, Well, it's so cool. I wonder how they kind of got past like the... Well, they don't. They got... I mean, they're, they're risking immense amount of liability by, by making that claim because they're, they're not... You know, they could get sued or shut down by the, by the mm -hmm. USDA for that. But again, the, the, you, you can have certified hemp in the United States, but you can't do medical cannabis. And once you're above 0.3%, you cannot claim or certified organic. Now, there are state organic certifications that you can claim, but there cannot claim federal USDA organic. Um, no one is, is medical cannabis USDA organic in the United States um, mm -hmm. because of the Schedule 1 um, until that gets changed. Um, that is the case. So it is kind of a weird area. Here's the other thing. Um, you can't do cannabis um, uh, and aquaponic and have your meat processing facility uh, license because meat processing is scheduled as is, is a federal regulated uh, thing. So in the United States, you can't slaughter your own fish and process them as, as a legal aquaponic cannabis facility because of that regulation. You have to send it off to a third party, which is a, a weird legal loophole, which I'm sure no politician or legislator had intended. Uh, mm. you know, they, they wouldn't do that, right? Like it, it just, that makes no business sense from even from a regulatory standpoint, it just makes no sense, right? It's, it's goofy, but mm. it's something that is kind of a weird pigeonhole side effect of the different regulations that they have between aquaponics and cannabis and aquaculture that it ends up in this little, you know, pinhole of a weird middle area. And, and <laughs> yeah, I, I remember you, I remember you saying Stephen about there was like a sort of need to get more sort of lobbying from like aquaponic like practitioners to uh, to like sort of government like officials and change policy because it does seem like you know like like you say like with that example it's like there are just those weird loopholes that kind of like you know that do pigeonhole aquaponics and don't really help it and like really support its growth or anything. Yeah, and and, and and what's funny is that the organic guys want to come in and claim, oh, well, it doesn't mineralize nutrients. Well, it does. And, oh, well, it doesn't have microbes. Well, we actually, according to NASA's study, have 168% more microbial biodiversity in terms of number of species. So we take that argument off the table. Oh, well, we're not doing soil. Well, anyone doing any flowering crops, anything with heavy amounts of lignin is using soil. They're using dual root zone. It's the only way to do it. And certainly mm -hmm. anyone that's doing any kind of, of performance crop, you know, cannabis or something like that, needs the dual root zone so that they can supplemental feed those different strains. If I have a, a heavy feeding wedding cake next to a, a low feeding Durban, I want to be able to power feed that wedding cake to make sure it can come out at the same yield as the Durban, right? And without a dual root zone to power feed it, I have no control enough to do that. I, it, I'm just going to have, I'm going to be at the mercy of, of whatever is going to grow well, which is not a place you want to be if I'm a commercial producer, right? That that's might be fine for lettuce, but doesn't work for, for what I do. So 
Um, you know, it, all of these arguments are just garbage. And what I really think we need to start mm. doing is changing our language and saying, we don't have, we're, it's not soil this, we grow aquatic soil. We, we're, we're growing in aquatic soil, that's all. Mm. Or aqua soil, you know, I mean, that, that's the difference because microbially, that's exactly what we're doing. It's mm. much more akin to soil on a microbial level than it is to a, a hydro solution. Certainly, if we're talking about chemical reactions and mineralization, it's way more similar to mineralization uh, uh, to soil than it is a hydro solution in terms of how it interacts with the plant. So mm. let's start talking that way. You know what I mean? Mm. Like this isn't like we need to just change the way that we're, we're presenting the argument in the first place and change the words we're using. Mm, yeah, it seems like they're really hung up on the sort of like the soil aspect of it, which seems just a bit like it just simplifying the whole kind of thing. Like I, I don't, you know, so much more about the sort of um, microbial interactions than I do, Stephen, but it's like from like investigating slightly into like the organic reasons for it. It's almost them saying that, you know, there needs to be that kind of like natural interactions between like microbes and, you know, sort of those natural sort of ecosystem processes. But it seems that aquaponics really does take advantage of that. And that's kind of integral in the whole process of aquaponics. So it doesn't really make too much sense, like to me really, like why they other, other than if it is like a sort of, a sort of, um, a commercial threat really at the end of the day I don't know I can't really see any other reason oh, yeah. why. and that's really all it is is they want a monopoly on the their their thing that they're used to having a monopoly on and that's what it comes down to is greed there there is no other justification for it than greed and it's just that simple and then you, you have a big problem with the religion of organics versus the science of organic and they are often two very different things especially if you've anyone here has heard anyone speak on on cannabis and organics. I mean, some of the goofy ass nonsensical BS that people talk about on the organic side that's just completely, you know, invented on, you know, bubble gum drops and fairy dreams, uh, uh, you know, it just it, with no basis on science. And but it gets preached all the time, you know, mm. and taken as fact by a lot of soil growers. And it's just it's not based on science. You mm. know, let, let's use one a great example of horsetail being the best source for um silica on your property for ferments or teas right everyone talks about you know horsetail for that it's actually not stinging nettle has over four times as much per, per gram of biomass so mm. you know there's a lot of stuff out there that the organic people have just kind of taken as a religion like that's we i heard that so that's that's true right like but no one's ever actually proven any of it um so the, and, and there's a lot of stuff in my book i'm working on to try and dispel a lot of that because it's frustrating especially when it comes to aquaponics with there's so much bad information, it's hard to find any good information. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think that was like a major thing that some of the participants said as well, um, especially with aquaponics is kind of like, you know, getting a more sort of a resource that you can like have a bit more like a standardized um, sort of knowledge source almost that, you know, producers and sort of practitioners can go to and be like, oh, this is like, I know this to be true or like, this is this is pretty well established. And so everyone's kind of, got like one source they can go to almost yeah and and i think that especially for pesticides i think it is time for a whitelist for our industry because one the fish involvement two look at the and, the and this is something i gave a talk on god three years ago now at, at the aquaponics association where i came out and said look the cannabis industry got railroaded by regulation because they sat back and they did not get out ahead of it and aquaponics is very much the threat of that happening where you could have one incident and suddenly they come in and heavy handedly regulate us or regulate us out of existence entirely because mm -hmm. of one incident. 
So what do we do? We need to come up with whitelists for pesticides and maybe even for, for mineral inputs to guarantee that we're limiting the liability on that. Say, look, we have, you know, there is a well-established research on these pesticides being safe to use at commercial settings when used, at, uh, at, you know, um, as directed. Uh, we, you know, so so we can start here, and you can apply for something, you know, and has the, you know these standards to, to be added to the list and whatever, whatever, the same way that cannabis does. And then this way, it takes away a lot of the little liability from the producers as well, and onto the state and the regulator in terms of deciding the, on that as well. Which you know, again, if it's going to come back onto lawsuits long term in fruit production, this isn't now, but this is an industry issue. You know, let let's put that liability on the state, right? Like, mm, yeah. <laughs> it just makes sense financially and 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 business wise. It's much better, you know, for a business to have that liability on them as long as we're following best practices. We're kind of protected as a company, mm. so it helps save us as well. From and it doesn't matter if I'm growing lettuce or cannabis. That 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 helps me, right? It doesn't matter. So so mm. this is the kind of stuff where where we we need to focus on that. And but one thing I would say is that it's also dangerous as well because look at the, the accepted um, pH regimen out there. Most people out there will tell you potassium hydroxide, calcium hydroxide. Well, those are actually like not the best at all. Um, the, now that we've actually had a chance to actually run a bunch of different stuff and run a bunch of side-by-side -side things, potassium silicate and calcium carbonate actually is the best in terms of, of you know, uh, harvest to harvest, uh, reducing pest management issues and, and just overall plant health and yield. That is a better model, but it's not been preached by the universities because the universities are only doing very, very narrow-minded stuff based on previous hydroponic or soil research. And they're not actually focusing on like a zoomed out level and just approaching it from a blank slate. And, and that's where I think you see a lot of, of private industry really leading the way because they're not pigeonholed by having to wait and, and finish writing out a, a paper for, for eight more months before they can move on to the next thing or write out a whole data report or all the other paperwork side of things that are that make the college stuff great for the terms of, of being able to back it up and say, this is, you know, a hundred percent the way it is. And you can pick it apart six ways till next Tuesday. And, and here's all the data. And it's great for that, but it's horrible if you're trying to push and invent new things and quickly push ahead, it, it's restrictive. And that's one of the things mm. that why the reason why I stopped working with a lot of universities on my, with my own personal research is it's too slow. I can, mm -hmm. I can work with a company that has a, a, a private research lab and, and do jumps and leaps and bounds 10 times faster. It, and it, it's just, and I think there, there needs to be a way to figure out how can we marry those, those two things and allow both of those things to happen or allow, you know, universities to start to speed up some of the, the industry research that needs to happen. Uh, in a way that's also feasible from the data side. And, and I think that that's really one of the biggest challenges right now is the fact that, you know, every everything on aquaponics is still stuck doing bib lettuce. You know, mm. how uh, it, it there's, there's probably, you could probably count on one or maybe even two hands, the number of aquaponic papers currently going on or research things going on that are around lettuce. Like mm. why? Like we got to get off of this. We're, we got to move on to other stuff. And, and, and there just, I, it's kind of something holding everything back. I don't understand. Mm. That's like, yeah, like, um, that's really interesting. Like when the, when I, I, one of the questions I asked was kind of like, what, what, what produce do you see kind of like, um, that aquaponics is producing. And, um, there was kind of like two camps in that as well. Like, like there was the people that were like, let's focus on like lettuce. That's where our main market is. But then there was like an, in a, a similar size group of people being like, no, we need to like move beyond lettuce now. Like we need to 
get beyond it and start producing fruit and you know really focusing on other vegetables that uh, so it is interesting seeing that like sort of focus on lettuce but like also as you were saying about like sort of um about um sort of you know um with the sort of with having this um with the um with the universities and then with the sort of private institutions as well it's sort of those kind of that was mentioned a couple of times especially in the visions and I think it does seem like a really important point but an issue with the research that I did was that it was kind of focused on like the general themes and general trends so because there was quite a few people as well in the research it kind of it meant that it kind of missed those kind of important and like nuanced kind of like points that needed to be made about sort of making aquaponics a more sort of centralized and sort of more formalized field if that makes sense and actually getting people together to actually like lobby and actually you know come together and be like we need to make these sort of decisions and yeah so I, th I think it's really important that like those those visions and stuff it they seem so valuable to like actually progressing the field progressing the field and making sure that it can achieve its like potentials really so what are some of the other uh, interesting points you, you had come across on their uh I got some some notes and stuff pulled up, but I figure is there any other uh, you know interesting or uh, uh, maybe you know, other big takeaways that you found or were kind of profound from from the different uh, points of view? Um, yeah, I I wouldn't say it, it seemed like the the visions were kind of like quite moderate really. There wasn't like sort of any um, uh, sort of like um, really profound kind of things that I came across, but. There was some like really kind of like interesting ideas for like the future of aquaponics. So like um, one person kind of saw the sort of the fish and the sort of um, the fish and the sort of left um, the fish and the the plant interaction as kind of being one step. And then they also wanted to take it a bit further and do sort of what they call like multi-trophic sort of food production. So kind of you know introducing in like introducing sort of um, using worms as like to like break down any waste from it and then feeding the worms to the fish. And then also growing like mushrooms off of any waste as well and selling them. And so they kind of saw, they kind of had this interesting idea of kind of making an ecosystem that could produce food almost, which is, I thought, I thought that was really interesting. And they used like an interesting phase and um, phrase, which was like, you know, let's like replicate mother nature to kind of like leave her out of it. And so it's quite interesting that they kind of wanted to like create a food systems that really did replicate like sort of like the natural ecosystems but also just so that you can spare more land, I guess, and spare sort of um, natural um, environments so that they can like recover and rewild and stuff. So that was quite interesting. Um, that's, that's really cool. I did um, some research. There's a, a group called Turtle Island Farms in Colorado, and we did some research on building uh, mushroom greenhouses directly next to aquaponic um, uh, greenhouses to increase plant production. So we were uh, using the CO2 from the mushroom greenhouse to pump in to, to make the plants grow faster. And we found that it took about 50% of the size of the greenhouse production um, to produce enough CO2, not counting the, the nursery section of the mushrooms, uh, but uh, in order to generate enough CO2 per square foot. So it was about 50% of the space, but it was a really interesting project, uh, probably one of the only ones that have ever been done you know, for that kind of applications. That's really interesting. Like it's kind of like using like a not like a byproduct that you wouldn't really think about using at all. It, yeah, that is super interesting. Well, it, if you're a large cannabis operation, you're paying quite a bit per month, either in natural gas or in tank CO2, uh, for supplementing for your plants. If you could generate a revenue off of that, 
and make that either net zero or, or turn a profit, I mean, that's a huge expense off of your, your bottom line. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's kind of some, some of the people were bringing up the idea of like those like, um, like a circular economy, I guess. So having like sort of like a beer plant, you know, with any waste that goes from that and then like sort of using that in your aquaponics facility and, and stuff like that. And, and, you know, governments needing to sort of zone cities properly and be like, you know, well, if we're putting this here, we need to make sure that things around it can use it at the same time. And so that was really interesting that kind of seeing that, you know, people had these visions that kind of extended, not just, you know, extended beyond aquaponics and were like, oh, we needed to get the government, like a local authority and in, 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 integrated into these, like into our industry and so, or into the industry and stuff. So that was really interesting. And, oh, yeah. And uh, aquaponics facilities can be a great way to give back to the community too. In fact, I've worked with multiple cannabis licenses that were donating, you know, 50 or more percentage of their fish production to the local community. You know, mm -hmm. if you're fighting for one of 10 cannabis licenses and you're the one guy who's going to come in and donate all your fish to the food pantry and do everything that everyone else is, you're going to get that license. <laughs> it's not even going to be concept. So, so it's a great way, especially if you're fighting for a license to, to really have an edge over all your competitors. How, how, who, how is anybody else going to work food production into their model? They can't, mm. you know, it's just, it's not going to work. Or in the case of Florida, they're not even allowed to, you can't even grow any other plants in your facility. No rules about fish though. You can't grow any plants in your facility except for cannabis. Mm. So that's so interesting. Uh, yeah so so yeah so there was um so that that was kind of like some interesting things and then um there was kind of like you know the that some when one person was saying about sort of uh, if they had the opportunity to like if someone asked them like oh we need we want we're going to build a skyscraper of aquaponics you know over the next years do you want to do it and he'd be like i'd sign up tomorrow like like he really like some people really felt like that was like kind of like a really cool vision to have of like having these like skyscrapers in cities of just like churning up food um and then those other things of like, uh, there was one idea of having sort of aquaponics on like sort of ships that would like sort of sail across the world. And um, they, they were saying that going from port to port of where like the, the best price for the um, sort, of, for sort of fish and for those plants and stuff were. And so that they could just like, you know, be like, oh, there's, there's you know, it's great prices in sort of, I don't know, um, great prices in like, um, you know, I, don't, I can't think but I'd like to say someone in New York there's great prices we'll sail over the aquaponic ship over to over to New York and we'll sell all like our facility we'll sell all our produce there so it's really like cool like interesting ideas like that that um that I'd like not really come across so it's really cool to kind of start to like unearth them and stuff and that was that was really cool I think one other thing for people to, to focus on is the fact that aquaponics really does seem to push essential oil production if you're going capsaicin for, for capsaicin isolation or some of the other isolated oils and, and, and oil isolates, plant uh, isolates, you can immensely increase that. I know we have heavy documentation for multiple terpenes and cannabinoids and then also capsaicin and peppers being greatly increased by aquaponics. So, you know, this is something that, you know, needs to be flushed out immensely, but there might be, a, a, a you know, I'm sure there's multiple crops that will, you know, almost double their terpene production. In fact, cannabis is one of them that when it's done right, will over double the total terpene production of the plant mm. in aquaponics, depending on the, on the cultivar. So, you know, it, that can be immensely profitable depending on what your essential oil production and how much it is per gram. So again, that's another area that just hasn't been fully explored that could be heavily exploited. Mm. It's kind of, 
there was a lady that we interviewed from Italy who's growing saffron in aquaponics in Italy and getting four mm. harvests a year instead of two. So it's it's so cool how like sort of unexplored of a territory it is almost in terms of like the research and development. It is like that's <laughs> what I found quite exciting is that um, even just like do my just like my research like. I, I got to speak to kind of like quite prominent people in the field and stuff so it was that's so, like such an opportunity that you know you don't really always get when you enter like fields and stuff so it is it is so cool how sort of um new and novel it all is and that there is so much room to explore so is there any other uh maybe other uh notable points before i go through questions um yeah i mean like there was the people kind of mentioned a lot that there was like an in, like a kind of a need for more sort of like formalization of the field is probably the best way to put it so you know sort of getting the sort of central body that could like set standards for aquaponics and be like you know promote best practice and identify best practice um and then also kind of like with that kind of creating a sort of knowledge resource where practitioners can go to and it being clear because some people kind of pointed out that they found real difficulty that with actually kind of identifying what's right to do they would like they'd say that you know they'd have to take stuff from like aquaculture like research journals and take stuff from hydroponics there was nothing really just for like actually aquaponics where it could like put all that information together and they wouldn't have to go through trial and error of being like oh this works here this doesn't um, and that kind of seems like, especially if, you know, if it's ever going to take off fully, it seems like, you know, having it kind of that knowledge, like really accessible and kind of, un, you know, accessible to sort of practitioners um, is going to be really important really forever for the field to ever like sort of grow and uptake to increase. Um, but yeah, so that was, that was quite an important point that I think that that um that people are making also kind of the need for farmers to kind of create a coalition so that it can lobby govern government a bit more and actually get change policy so it it does actually support and it's like nurturing the kind of field to grow um and it's funny like they're they're the kind of ideas that unfortunately i wasn't able to cover like in my dissertation because we only have a certain limit of words but there were so many interesting ideas that it was kind of like it was so difficult to know like what to put in or like you know so like you, you want to kind of like you want to flesh out everything really and be like this is this is important that you know this is a vision and stuff but unfortunately you've got to really like narrow down to like some of the basic things so, so on that note what else hit the cutting room floor then that sounds really interesting <laughs> um i think that they were kind of the main ones i mean people were kind of some people were quite concerned about the fish welfare as well they thought that like uh that could be like something that needs like more research into you know making like natural kind of like environments for the fish and like you know in get, like making sure there's like day and night cycles so that they're actually get you know proper like sort of um getting in sort of proper diurnal cycles um and so that was quite interesting and i think that's quite important as well it seems that you know consumers are going to be quite um concerned almost about um the fish welfare um i know there's like some research that's seen that people in cities like in in one city anyway i think it was maybe berlin or something that people were kind of that was something that put them off was like sort of cultivating livestock in a city is quite like sort of off-putting for some people um so i mean like mitigating that as much as possible and being like oh no these fish like you know they're, they're happy they live like good lives and stuff is the best way um and kind of but it was one person brought up an interesting point of being like what like there's kind of like a rise of sort of veganism um and sort of does is 
aquaponics probably wouldn't fall into that category, I guess, of veganism. So it's kind of, you know, trying to mitigate those things about fish welfare and stuff and trying to ensure that, you know, people actually do believe that they're living good lives and it's like a sort of, you know, it is a positive thing. Um, so that was like, that was quite interesting as well. Um, yeah, but I'm just trying to, there, there was so, there's so many like um, small ideas and stuff that, you know, it's, it's kind of, I'm just trying to think back on them now, but it's quite hard to like, uh, to pick, pick them out in particular. I think that's kind of like the majority of the main ones now. Sorry about that. I didn't realize I was muted. Um, so you had a couple of different themes here on your, your paper. Do you want to kind of want to go through those? Um, mm. In terms of the sort of results, sorry, Stephen. What was that? I'm sorry. Was that in terms of the results? Sorry, and the themes. Yeah, I was looking at your your second appendix here. You went through the the different things. You you kind of made your main your main points were the you know as widespread as possible, trying to to spread it farther by by 2030. Uh, um, mm. you know, normalizing it in society as part of daily life, uh, you know, still kind of seen more as an exotic thing. Um, mm. uh, in, what increased uptake, uh, quadruple and uptake uh, uh, across the world? Explain us more about that. Yeah, so that was just that was quite interesting. So, like, uh, that was the, the I think it was only bar one person, um, all like all the um, participants wanted aquaponics to become like more widespread or more like pro pro prolific, um, which makes sense. I mean, like if people like sort of engaged in research and actually like, you know, invested their time and money and effort into like sort of aquaponics, it makes sense that people are gonna be like, oh yeah, well, we wanted to see it like boom, they have faith in it. Um, um, so like, but something that was quite interesting is people had different ideas about like how sort of like widespread they wanted it to be like we use 2030 as a sort of way to ground the kind of visions um as like a sort of year to focus on um yeah but some people saw like aquaponics as being like um the same size as like hydroponics like fulfilling that kind of role some people saw it as like completely replacing hydroponics so it'd be kind of like um so completely replacing it and some people then again so it's like starting to replace like conventional agriculture and so they wanted normal farm, like soil-based conventional farmers to start to switch over to aquaponics. Um, and yeah, so um, so that was quite interesting seeing like the sort of disparity. I mean, in terms of goal setting, it seems like important that like any vision kind of does establish a sort of one where it's like, oh, we can all get behind being like, yeah, this seems like realistic and achievable. And, you know, this is this is this is good, a good one to go for. Um, so yeah, so the thing you just mentioned is just the kind of different descriptors that people used. Um, you know, the the interest interesting one was like seeing it more normalized in society. You know, people still see it as like an exotic thing, and so people wanted it to. Some participants want it to be like when people, you know, you say aquaponics, people are like, oh yeah, I know what that is. Like I found like speaking about my dissertations, like friends and stuff, I'm still explaining quite a lot, but it seems like you know, I imagine more often there are people that are like, oh yeah, I've heard of aquaponics. I know what that is. So it does seem like it's getting out there and getting getting more widespread and more more knowledgeable. But yeah. Um, yeah. And then, um, so that was like the main theme. Um, and then there was also things about, um, there was also things about like, you know, increasing consumer awareness of aquaponics. Like that seemed really important to people because it seems like, you know, you, you've got to, kind of create the sort of market base you know you, you've got to have like people willing to purchase the actual produce 
and actually like excite like you know wanting to go for it and especially like if it's if there maybe has to be a price premium at the start um because you know this the technology is still developing um then you know you've, you've kind of you 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 need people to be passionate about it and think it's a good thing and think it's sustainable and be aware of it um, to, to ever kind of like um, get the, the field up and running. So some, some people saw vision as being like, that's where research and sort of, that's where we need to put more resource into is actually like creating that awareness. That's awesome. Here, let me uh, jump back here. So overcoming begin uh overcoming a niche uh, label talked about that uh, mm. restricted in agri uh, ag food industry uh, respected in the agricultural space um mm. so that's a real big point yeah so sure. that's quite in interesting so that the, the uh, i think that person sort of it was interesting that they they used the word like respected it was kind of I think they wanted to see aquaponics being less like a novelty and more as a serious way of producing food and sort of something that people could like really get on board with. Um, I think that it, it's just interesting words that they use of like respected. It seems that, um, you know, they, like, you know, aquaponics maybe still is seen as a sort of a novelty almost and something that, you know, it still needs more work on. So I think that a lot of it was kind of like, we want to see aquaponics be a, as established way of producing food and we don't want it to fizzle out um yeah so that was quite that that, that was quite an interesting um um interesting take on it as well um yeah so um and it was like kind of overcoming the idea of it being a niche as well and being a niche way of producing food yeah so um it's quite interesting yeah so so all those things you're speaking about Stephen, that that's like the appendix to um like that the first major theme which was like a vision of growth it's like um wanting aquaponics to be more and more um sort of more prolific and those are all just the different descriptors that people use to um to like um articulate that vision which is quite interesting um but yeah so um i think that's kind of like um the majority of the visions actually that kind of went over like um i'd, I'd love to do more and more research on it again to um actually dive into it more and you know like in the visioning like things like they often do it in like where they do like um stakeholder workshops where they get like everyone to come together and they like create the vision together which is like uh which would be super interesting to actually get like solid like um um like complete visions almost that everyone could like um that you could really like dive into more um because it was a bit difficult like having those disparate visions of like trying to um um be like this person says this and this person says that it's all a bit like mismatched and incomplete almost so i think any further research would be really interesting to get people to like you know get all the sort of key actors together and like everyone to come together and be like oh let's like start to understand and like plan this like future for aquaponics it'd be really interesting i think the problem is the aquaponics industry generally doesn't work together on much of anything mm. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. T I, I I don't know. Why, why do you think that is, Stephen? Is it just what was that? Uh, what what? Why is that? That like it's kind of quite separate. Um, the research institutions, because that's something that came up as well in the in the research. So you kind of have a couple issues. One, and someone explained this to me really well, and it has partially to do with the Australian nature of the industry. 
So in Australia, they have this concept called tall poppy syndrome. So in a poppy field, if you have one poppy that ends up a little bit taller, it's going to screw up your harvest. You cut you cut that head off to keep keep them all even, right? So all the seed is growing at the same speed. So if you end up getting ahead a little bit, the first thing everyone generally wants to do is criticize you and tell you you're wrong and that you don't know what you're doing and blah, blah, blah. And then it takes them a long time to actually like try it and then realize that you're right. Uh, we went through this quite heavily with the silica stuff. Everyone told me I was crazy. Now everyone is replacing their potassium with potassium silicate for powdery mildew reasons. Um, you know, this is this is kind of you know, just, just one quick dirty example. But it, it, it's 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 this whole everyone's been doing everything the same way for so long because UVI did it, and that has to be the way, right? And it's just that has to stop. Or you don't need to supplement nutrients. Of course, you need to supplement nutrients. You know, like nature didn't invent fish poop to grow plants. Like that's not how that was planned out, right? So um, it just it wasn't designed for that. You're gonna have missing gaps in your stuff. So sure, you can mineralize things differently, but there's there's just some certain myths out there that or there's no pesticides used of course there's pesticides used they might be mm -hmm. biological pesticides they might you know what i mean but you still got to con you still have pest management pest management doesn't go out the window i mean unless you're in a completely biosecure facility in which is not cheap mm -hmm. you're not going to gab that right so it's just it's goofy why people make some of the, the the goofy claims that they do about aquaponics when it's just um I just don't understand, and 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 that you got you know large commercial companies that that push some of these myths still, and I just it makes no sense. Hmm. Yeah, it seems kind of strange. Like I remember someone saying it's kind of like you know UVI. It's kind of like it's you know it's kind of stuck maybe a little bit in the the past, and it like needs to progress more than any research and development. Hmm. Yeah, we've had what thirty five years or forty years of research now on mineralization and everything else, like especially look at the advent of a lot of the natural farming and ferments and things. And we're learning so much more now that we can make, you know, much better decisions on how to properly mineralize stuff than just, you know, inline, you know, moving beds, stuff like that. It just doesn't make sense anymore. So especially mm -hmm. at the scales that people want to try and do some of these facilities, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. And you get a, and I see the same problem with the cannabis industry too. People that grow a six lighter think they can tell you about acres. And it's just, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Like the, you know, everything is different. Pest management, nutrients, everything. It just doesn't work. Mm. You know, you, you just have to, there's just some of the stuff where you have people that are trying to replicate really goofy designs or, hey, what might work great for UVI at, in the tropics might, you know, <laughs> that doesn't mean it's going to work good somewhere at a different latitude, right? So, mm. um, you know, there, there's all these different things or what might be acceptable for a crop you know, for lettuce might not get you even 50% of the yield of a, of a performance crop, you know, something that's, that, that needs to be heavily fed. So it, this is the kind of stuff that just needs to be worked out with, with that kind of stuff. And, and it's really mm -hmm. awesome you had a chance to do this paper and really rip that apart, and really get a bunch of different visions from people that kind of are, you know, moving ahead in the industry and, and trying to push their visions forward and make them not just visions, but reality. Mm. Yeah, totally. Like what you're saying about like the, like the context dependency like of like aquaponic facilities that was a big thing that kept coming up it was like you know there's this phrase of like oh it depends like that was what people used a lot like speaking about it and like that's kind of variables. yeah yeah and it's kind of interesting like it's almost like two kind of like well like kind of like perspectives on food production that are kind of 
like that seem to be ha- like uh, that seem to be that present as like two visions for aquaponics i guess you've got like the one where it's like you know it's really contextual we need to be like attuned to kind of like our own um context of food production and sort of you know uh, i don't know like one thing that works for this farmer won't work for another and it's kind of been really like in tune with your own system and kind of like like i remember one researcher's almost talked about as if like you know it's like when you see like like those kind of farmers when they go through sort of you know agroecology where like using ecosystem processes to really boost performance um they're really like in tune with like their land almost and their soil and you know their crops um and so there's like the sort of that side to the aquaponics but then there's also researchers that are like no we need to make everything standardized we need to make you know remove the context and keep it like really um sort of you know so we can scale it up really and it's kind of interesting there are these two visions and that like that seem to be there in and it depends i don't know that might be taking them a bit too extreme like there's maybe room in between i guess but there's like these two different visions so i think like it'd be interesting to see like you know which which vision kind of like dominates as well in the field and like which is more like optimal i guess as well that'd be maybe some like future research would be really interesting as well oh yeah for sure and the um gosh i had a really good point when i lost it there that's right. Um, but but on the on the scalability, uh, oh no, I lost it again. I'll think of it again. <laughs> but uh, uh, let me jump back here to your paper. I know you're you're almost out of time here. Uh, you know it's getting quite late over there in Europe. But um, uh, was there any last um, uh, takeaways uh, uh, or maybe closing points or maybe um, you know kind of uh, overarching conclusions you had with the paper? Um, and then maybe any. Uh, any you know research papers or research uh, uh, points that were or you know maybe stuck out that that are relevant that uh, you know you found what we'll do in the research slide. Hmm. Um, so, touched a little uh, bit on that earlier. Yeah. So um, I guess like the big overall conclusion is like you know there are some like points of like you know um, agreement you know like people wanting it to be more like and people wanting it to be more prolific. Um, you know, people wanting it to be like used in multiple ways and not be like, you know, confined just to food production or just to this, like they wanted it to be used in like loads of different varieties of ways. Um, And then, but also that there are lots of like different visions almost about like, you know, different factors. There are like people wanting it to go in different directions. And so I I think that, you know, it, one of the conclusions is that, you know, a vision for the field, I don't know the practicality of it, um it, it seems that it would be really useful um and like really like useful to trying to get like sort of to actually achieve the potentials of aquaponics and make sure you know being quite strategic and stuff with research and development and being like let's invest in this we can you know this this can this is, is going to result in this future um or like doing cost benefits of being like you know we've got these different ways we could take the the technology which one's going to result in the most optimal outcome and stuff. And, you know, kind of being strategic about it and actually doing the best, doing everything that can be done to ensure that like those potentials are actually realized, but also kind of like the challenge of that really, like, you know, what we're saying about it being so context dependent, it seems that like, it's going to be super difficult to ever have like one overarching vision for aquaponics because there are so many different uses of it. And, you know, different countries have different sort of 
you know, regulations, different requirements, you know, it's going to be used in different ways across different, you know, different places. And it seems like it's going to be really quite challenging to, to ever come to like any sort of meaningful consensus about like sort of where aquaponics should be and what its role should be in society. Cause it is just, you know, it can be used in so many ways and, you know, across the world, it changes the context changes so much. So I think that was like a major takeaway for myself was like it, you know, it's a big challenge and maybe it needs to be sort of more regional based of doing like multiple visions that kind of like may work in concert together. But at the same time, it's still quite such a small field. It's, it's it's it seems like a massive challenge really to to ever have that kind of level of sort of um cooperation sort of strategy it, you know what i mean to ever come to like anything like meaningful so i think it's like really i think it's like a would be a really valuable thing for the field but you know it there's going to be there'd be challenges to it definitely oh yeah and, and really what it comes down to with design is what are you growing you know, if I'm growing root crops, I'm not going to grow them in a DWC, right? It's not going to mm. work. So, so balancing, you know, doing market analysis on your area and what crops you're going to grow, and then dedicating, you know, X percentage to, you know, wicking beds, X percentage to media beds, X percentage to, you know, dual root zones or X percentage to, you know, DWC, or, you know, maybe you're going to do dual root zones, whatever. But, you know, you're going to have to figure out how much of the systems you're going to dedicate and depending on your crop choice, you're going to maximize yield. And, you know, that that's really what it comes down to primarily, at least in my opinion. But, mm. you know, and that's just min-maxing, you know, how much can I get per month, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which I get a lot of people don't even bother doing an aquaponic, at least based <laughs> on some of the stuff that I've visited, tried to clean up. All right. Well, I know it's getting quite late over there in England, uh, so <laughs> we will uh, wrap it up with you. But um, I appreciate it. Um, uh, do you uh, is your the paper available publicly? If not, uh, I can make it available on here. Or if you want me to wait on that, that's fine too. Uh, is it is um, it up yet? Um, I mean, like uh, I, I haven't uploaded it anywhere. Like um, it's it's just kind of with the the university is like where I, like it's submitted to. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to put it up and, you know, you know, anyone that wants to speak about it or like criticize it or whatever, I'd be happy to like speak about it. Um, yeah, that'd be pretty, that'd be awesome. Just like, yeah, to just speak about, it. I do, I do, I do think that, you know, it's, it's an idea worth considering anyway to, um, you know, to investigate more in sort of the future and investigate more like sort of the practitioners as well of aquaponics It's like, like really minimal research and the actual people that are practicing aquaponics so if anyone has any questions or you know would like to have any point like you know from my, like my own personal sort of struggles with the dissertation and you know challenges that I faced um, I'd be more than happy to speak about it. Sure and how would people reach you if they, they want to get a hold of you? Um, yeah so they could probably just email me is the best way so um, it's like um, so it's williamsjake311 at gmail.com but I don't know if it'd be best to send you that um steven to put in the description or something yeah yeah so we'll make sure we have that description and uh and uh i'll, I'll upload that here on the on the google drive and we'll put a link to that paper here in, in the description as well okay awesome great yeah cool. awesome well, i really appreciate having you on um if there's anything else you want to mention or plug before you go uh feel free if not uh thanks for joining us and um uh you know i'll, I'll let you go there i know it's getting quite late 
yeah well thanks so much for having me on Stephen it's been like really, really thanks for the opportunity it's been great to chat uh, appreciate it and uh, thanks for doing all this research on such a cool topic it's something I think uh, really could use uh, uh, more more light on mm. oh yeah well th yeah thanks so much for your participation as well <laughs> yeah no problem yeah full disclosure I was one of the participants of his paper <laughs> so. Alrighty, well, uh, that was an awesome uh, interview with Jake. Um, uh, I, uh, uh, you're more than welcome to take off. If not, I'm going to go over probably five minutes of what I've been up to, and then uh, wrap up the show and, and talk about the um, the convention coming up. So uh, thanks a lot. And uh, if you need to duck out, feel free. And then uh, if not, uh, you're welcome to hang out. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I might have to duck out. Sorry, Stephen. I, I, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, it I know it's quite late there. <laughs> I appreciate it. Cool. Right. Well, thanks again, Stephen. And uh, yeah, speak to you soon as well. Thank you. Cheers. See. You. Bye. Bye. Take care. All right. That was really wonderful. And um, if you guys are looking to find out more information about aquaponics, specifically aquaponic cannabis, but if you're even if you're not a cannabis grower, just want to learn about more about how to grow your flowering crops better and steal some of the great ideas cannabis people have been working on over the years uh, for their aquaponic systems, uh, be sure to check out the uh, virtual aquaponic cannabis convention. Uh, and that will be held on October 3rd and 4th, right here on the Potent Ponics YouTube channel. And we will have a wide list of uh, different speakers. Um, we will have uh, Breeder Steve, uh, the very first person to write about aquaponic cannabis way back in 1997, back on Overgrow. It was the first person I found uh, that had anything about it. And um, we will also have Murray Hollum from Australia. Uh, we will also have, who has uh, uh, done, you know, practical aquaponics. He is, uh, you know, kind of probably the world leader now in, in aquaponic systems, uh, certainly in commercial stuff and setting up all different types of things uh, all over the world. Uh, we will have uh, 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 Dr. Wilson Leonard, uh, one of the few people uh, that has written uh, he wrote a wonderful book on commercial aquaponics. He's also, uh, you know, one of the leaders uh, in, in aquaponics. He's been doing it for over 30 years. Uh, so that'll be another great one. We have Matthew Gates, Zenthanol, the uh, the pest management guru, aficionado extraordinaire, uh, who uh, will come on and talk about, you know, um, uh, pest management methods that will work in your aquaponic system. So aquaponic safe pest management practices and, uh, you know, other challenges that are maybe a little bit more unique. To aquaponics that aquaponic people might face. That's going to be really cool. We're going to have Roger Terry from True Aquaponics talking to us about minerals and nutrients. We'll have uh, Angela Tenenbrock. She's a uh, food safety expert who does with food safety audits for uh, aquaponic uh, uh, facilities, uh, food facilities, as well as soil facilities. And she'll be with us talking about biosafety uh, on, on uh, you know, uh, aquaponic uh, commercial facilities. So that'll be really cool. We'll have uh, Marty Wydell talking from AP Meds, you know, and, and this podcast talking to us about aquaponic cannabis. I'll be there talking about aquaponic cannabis. We'll be talking in depth on dual root zones, why it's required for any serious commercial production and, and some other important points that I have um, that I, I want to talk about. Um, we have uh, Brendan Strath from um, both Growmore and Spectrum King Lighting. He'll be talking about both microbes and lighting. Uh, we have... Um, uh, Leanne Keys from, uh, uh, or all you guys know him as Chief Cultivator uh, over there, who's crushing it up in uh, um, uh, Habitat Life up in Canada. Uh, we'll have um, uh, 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 Josh Rutherford talking to us about large scale aquaculture uh, and how it can help your outdoor soil grow. So he's doing 
some aquaponics. He's also doing a combination of taking his fish large scale aquaculture water and using it on his living soil beds uh, to provide additional nutrients and additional growth for his living soil beds. So, um, you know, kind of more of a practical application for more of you, uh, you know, soil lovers that maybe uh, aren't into uh, aquaponics, but maybe want to you maybe want to keep some tanks of fish to maybe raise for, for homesteading purposes and want to be able to utilize that. Uh, to increase their gardens uh, in a living soil application. So that'll be really cool. Uh, and we have uh, some additional guests that we'll be announcing here as we get a little sooner. A couple of people we're holding back to announce. Uh, we're going to do some kind of a, a little uh, hype piece or something with them. It's going to be kind of cool stuff uh, uh, for the last couple of guests for the, the show. But it'll be two straight days of stuff. We have um, uh, uh, giveaways uh, from a couple of different people. Uh, that'll be giving out different products, uh, uh, true aquaponics. We have um, Recharge. We have uh, uh, shout out to the guys at Do Grows, and some other people are going to be helping us out with with some uh, product giveaways. Um, I got to look in at the rest of the list here on, on, on who we have. Uh, I apologize for not having that in front of me, um, but we'll, we'll we'll make sure we get up the new flyer with all the sponsors and stuff here in the next week or so. We're just finalizing everybody, um, but it's going to be really awesome. Uh, we'll have. Uh, you know, hour-long talks from all these wide range of different speakers, specifically in aquaponic cannabis production, uh, and um, you know, related topics and, and and that type of stuff. And then giveaways in between each speaker. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, tons of people. You'll be able to ask questions. Uh, you know, we'll have a and A Q&A section at the end. And then we'll have the panels in the evenings. Um, one night we're going to do a commercial producers panel, and we have we're still working on the second panel. Um, so. Uh, uh, definitely check that out, and that'll be free for everybody. So if you just tune in, um, there's no charge for that. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's the time of COVID, not everybody has that extra money right now, and uh, we figured, you know what? Uh, why don't we put some information out for free? And uh, you know, if you really enjoy us, uh, I'm sure you guys will support us with our other stuff that we do that that does generate things for us. So uh, it's a great way for everyone to share knowledge and uh, support some of the companies out there that are willing to give us uh, some products out there for people that. Uh, or maybe not need, need a couple extra things right now. So it's going to be a lot of fun and um, a lot of education. And uh, you know, big shout out to all the people out there that are that are helping put this on. It's a lot of hard work. So, um, uh, going to be great. So, um, with that said, uh, the other thing is that I've been working on a bunch of cool new stuff here in Oklahoma. We'll be ready to announce that. Um, but if I were an Oklahoma resident, I would be out looking for some cool new products at your dispensary here in the next two to three weeks. Um, I will have an announcement soon. As soon as we have COAs, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's the first of many cool things. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and then what else do we have coming down the pipeline? Um, making leaps and bounds. Marty and I have gotten a lot of headway done. Marty and I's schedule is a little more open. So we've been getting, chunking out the commercial class quite a bit more. Um, it's turned into much bigger than we originally planned. But I think anyone who takes it now is completely blown away it's freaking awesome uh, so that's coming along great um chunking out the book a little bit uh about to move into my new spot uh this week uh do a five acre spot so that's going to be really dope nice big yard be able to set up some space down there set up a little greenhouse and stuff once we uh once they get all set up so that'll be fucking dope so just all around good good vibes right now so can't complain um in many different ways for sure. So um, on that note, I will wrap things up. And uh, Doggo's doing good too. He's sound asleep next to me. Um, so we'll uh, we'll wrap the show up. Uh, be sure to check us out on Potent Phonics and SoundCloud iTunes. 
um, all the different places uh, or the video version on YouTube and be sure to check out the virtual aquaponic cannabis uh, conference. And I will make sure uh, before the night's over to get that um, uh, paper that he wrote uh, uploaded on here in the description. A uh, big shout out again to Jake Williams for not only compiling all that, but uh, uh, interviewing all those people and putting together such a wonderful paper and uh, taking the time to join us to talk about it. So um, thanks a lot. And uh, we'll catch you guys again soon. Take care. Cheers.